When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Stratford Paddock. This is the Paddock Podcast. My name is Joe. That is Jay. I almost got the wrong way around then, which is good. We're going to be talking about a few different things today, actually. First of all, I want to talk about Manchester United's turning point this season. Was yes. what we saw um, at the weekend the, the beginning of change? Because if it is ever going to change, if we are ever going to start winning some games, something like two goals in injury time to win a game at Old Trafford is kind of the, the thing you might need to do it. And also, we're going to go through and, and list other reasons why that could be a turning point. Not just the, the three points, because they're almost secondary at this point. There's a lot more going on than just United not scoring goals. Um, but we'll get into a few reasons why maybe that could be um, a, a time for change at United. And also, I want to start, though, with this David Beckham story. David Beckham's been in the press a lot this last week. The release of his documentary on Netflix. Have you seen it yet? Um, what? Disgusting. What is it? What, what even is a David Beckham? So the problem with me is, this is, and this is, I, I admit this is just pathetic. This isn't like a, a stance I've got. It's not like a choice. I suppose it is a choice, but it's not like something I've sort of come to. It's just a problem I have is. When it's footage from the Ferguson era, just generally. Yeah, a lot of that. Winning trophies. Yeah, loads of that. But the sort of late 90s to early 2000s. Yeah, pure of that. Is so deeply entrenched in my sort of time learning to love Manchester United. Yeah. Or being forced to love Manchester United. That... It reminds me of my dad so much. It reminds me of being a kid. It reminds me of my mates. It reminds me of going to games. It reminds me of this. It, me of it almost, it's almost too wistful. It enters the sort of painfully wistful <laughs> part of my brain to the point where I just cry instantly. I see the footage. I see that kind of slightly grainier footage. <laughs> Beckham with his hair flapping in the wind as he's celebrating a goal. And I, and I just I can't deal with it. Right. I have, there's a lot of these documentaries that come out that I just can't watch. Like I'm the sort of person that doesn't listen to like sad songs. I don't like watching sad movies. Yeah. And it's not because I'm sad. I feel personally, as, generally as a person, pretty happy and you know, I'm, I'm a really upbeat person. Yeah. But part of that is because I lock the door. I keep that door locked, Jay. Don't I, let, I, I, I hear the knocks. The, I hear the knocks like what? anyone. I just don't open it. On my Joe Smith bingo today, it. I did not have the word wistful being the reason that you don't, too wistful it's painfully being wistful. the reason that you don't watch Do you or you haven't watched. Do you understand what I mean at all though? I, it, it just I, makes me want mm, to just go back. It's so much better than it is now. Yeah. Everything about life was better then. But I revel in that when oh, we're, the worse we are, the more I revel in it. Yeah. Like it's, do you know what? We're, we're pretty poor now to the point where 
I'm happily, I make no apology, apology for it, celebrating two late goals against Brentford like I celebrated the goals in the new Camp back it, in 99 hour when we scored in the new Camp in 99. Yeah. I get it. It is a bit like, oh, look at where we were, look at where we are now. But the, the worse we are now, the more I want to sort of remember those good times. And also, I think there is a good reason to, to watch that David Beckham documentary or to learn more about David Beckham or mm. just to, to remind yourself about him because I think there's this sort of thing now amongst a lot of mainly anti-United fans but even the odd United fan in inverted commas and it's to sort of downplay how good some of our former players were mm. and I've seen a lot of this over the years players like Wayne Rooney will be sort of dismissed a little bit yeah. or Beckham is an obvious one. Oh, he wasn't all that. He was just in a, a good team and he was mm. a bit of a Spice boy and all that. And he was, because he was good looking, he was married to a Spice girl and he was good at free kicks. Everyone loved him. No, he was mint week in, week out. And the only sort of biggest, well, not the only biggest, the biggest gripe I've got with that Beckham documentary that I've actually ended up watching twice, you know, because really? I've watched it, done this thing, right? Because there's very few things me and my missus can watch together. So we watched. Why? Because we have different tastes. Like, mm. obviously, Hollyoaks, Coronation Street, um, Emily in Paris. I love all them. They're all yours. She likes Match of the Day. You like um, Sisterhood uh, of the Travelling Pants. Yeah. Well. You've always got that on. I love all that. Yeah. She's into, you know, uh, she's into just anything to do with the army. Like, mm. she's obsessed with war, army, combat. This isn't true. Oh, no, I'm thinking of Stephen Allison. Oh, Sorry, yeah, yeah, completely yeah, got yeah, that yeah. wrong. Um, yeah, but she, <laughs> we don't really watch the same thing. She right. does like Hollyoaks and I like drivel yeah. and I just like you like proper stuff don't you like you know Seinfeld yeah so we don't we seldom watch things together but we do like she obviously loves David Beckham and yeah. he's intrigued because the whole sort of Pospice thing as well it's double whammy she likes Pospice she loves David Beckham so she can watch it for that and loves United and I well, obviously love Beckham and love United and whatnot and they've got good access they've got Fergie on there they've got obviously got un, un sort of unbridled access to uh, Beckham and to Posh and the some of the former players like Gary Neville and, and Kino and players like that. So it is great and Figo and his Real Madrid teammates. The access is great. The only sort of issue I had or the main issue is I feel like it sort of brushes over a lot of his United career. Mm. And it's like the goal against Wimbledon, winning the treble, scoring some free kicks, great, you know, yeah. but it's, it focuses more on his sort of pop star image. Right. And it's like Hang on a minute, it's not really doing enough to, dis to dispel this myth that he wasn't amazing. Yeah. I want a bit, I wanted a bit more of that. Do you know where that myth comes from, I think? And it's the same with Rooney to a certain extent, but obviously less so because of what I'm about to say. If you look at the average age of the person on social media or on Twitter, or even look at the pundits on Sky or whatever these days, like, maybe, maybe that's a slightly different, but if you look at the, certainly social media, what would you say the average age is on there, on Twitter? 35, maybe, as a guess, but it's certainly... How old do you have to be to have been, what age, you know, let's say you need to be 10, 12, 13 to start to really understand what you're watching in terms of football, I would say. Yep. Certainly 10 plus. You, to have been 10 when David Beckham was at his peak in, in 1998, let's say, or 97, let's start there. You have to be born in 1987, which, which, you, which makes you now 36, 37 years old. Yeah. So there's a whole host of people. If you're anything less than the average age on Twitter, the people who own all of these accounts that talk about United, that talk about football all the time, all the people that talk about ballers and the streets will never forget and all that. Yeah. They didn't watch him. No. They didn't actually watch him. I only just remember him for United. Yeah. I'm 30 years old. So if you're younger than me, 
you have no working knowledge of David Beckham at Manchester United. Nope. You just can't have. So, nope. and if you even if you have memory of it, you weren't understanding who was good and who wasn't because you can't when you're six. So I think that a lot of it is just the people who talk about football the most on social media are a lot of people in their 20s or teens talking a lot about football who only have memories of him to go on or him at LA Galaxy or him at AC Milan or whatever. But peak David Beckham was a, a fantastic player, like a, a truly fantastic player, as we've said on this channel so many times. But it's just, I think a lot of people just don't remember him and no. won't admit it because, well, he's not that old, so he must have seen him. But people don't. Do you know what the issue is as well? Like, Statman Dave did a tweet the other day, if I can find it, about Beckham. And I looked at, at some of um, Beckham's stats, and especially, like, the 99 season, which is sort of his, arguably his best season. And there was this, he did a tweet about his stats. I found it here. It says, David Beckham's season stats when Man United won the treble. 55 games played, 20 assists, 9 goals. Mm. Best player in the world in 99. Now... Just taking aside the, the bit at the bottom, which you kind of agree with, 55 games played, 20 assists, 9 goals. Mm. That is a fantastic return, but it's not unbelievable numbers. It doesn't tell you the full story. Yeah. Now, the full story about that, which is what, sort of what I quoted, is some of those goals were vile. The goal against Spurs, the goal against Arsenal in the Sammons, the goal against Spurs that gave us the equaliser for the title-deciding game. The last game of the season, we had to beat Spurs, went 1-0 down, Beckham got the equaliser with a fantastic goal. The goal against Arsenal in the semi-final replay, he gets the opening goal in that game. These are all seminal to, to the treble. Then there's the fact that in some games where he didn't score assist, he was min the Champions League final. Does yeah. he get an assist in that game? No. Is he vital to us winning it? Yes. What's the last two minutes? Both his corners and him winning one of the corners as well are the reason that we won that game. Yeah. So the stats don't tell you the full picture. And also he wasn't a sort of right winger in the sense that Mo Salah is, no. where you're playing on the corner of the 18-yard box and cutting in. Your aim is to get goals and assists all the time. Obviously, 20 assists, his aim was to get assists. But it's not... Wingers weren't built the same way. They didn't do the same thing. It was people who were right-footed playing on the right, people who were left-footed playing on the left, getting balls into the box for the strikers, doing a lot more work defensively, tucking inside and doing work well, he played in, the, in, the in the Champions League final. And that's exactly what I was going to It was fantastic. Yeah. He was one of the only players who actually did anything of, of any note for United Jesper Blomquist played like 40 games that season. Ryan Giggs played practically every game that season. So sometimes Beckham would like to say be in the, in the middle. I know yeah. sometimes... Who's a bit on the left covering for gigs or whatever. But he's, but he's yeah, it's he's, he's silly. But the reason we're going on about David yeah. Beckham, we spoke about that documentary loads, so I don't want to keep laboring the point. But no, when you have watched it, we will go over it again. Is about this potential ambassador role. I've noticed yes. loads of comments, and I'm gonna get into the comments in a minute and it's in the super chats. So don't you know, bear with me. Yeah. But there's um there's this story that's breaking or broke about two hours ago that potentially David Beckham could be given a role. With uh, Manchester United under a Sheikh Jassim takeover. Yeah. Now, if you saw the footage yesterday, Sky cornered him at the Qatari World, uh, Qatari Grand Prix, sorry. Yeah. And they asked him about Manchester United and the takeover, and he was saying that he kn knows people that he thinks will be good for for the club who could take over. And then he was asked, you know, is that Sheikh Jassim? And he said, we'll see. Sort of a little bit tongue in cheek. Wasn't really committal. It depends how you want to look here. You could look at it as that's the 
proof that Sheikh Jassim is going to take over and David Beckham is going to be his right hand man, or it could just be a little bit of David Beckham knows someone. It might not even be Sheikh Jassim. It did seem like it was him. Though, it, did. I think if it you, if did. If you're being honest, it was he was talking about Sheikh Jassim. It, it looked like yeah. it, but it wasn't. I don't think you can say that's it. No, Do you know no, what I mean. No. It was it was relatively no Camille, but it, it, I think if it hadn't have been, you'd have been a bit more no. Yeah. No, rather than we'll see. But he's been linked with this sort of ambassador role if Sheikh Jassim wins. Now, the issue with this is, not that it's a bad thing. I don't think David Beckham being involved in Manchester United is a, is a bad thing. I just feel it's a bit like almost semi-meaningless. Yeah. Because an ambassador role at United, loads of players have that. Yeah. Lo- Do you know, Piers Schmeichel has an ambassador role at Manchester United, which no one will never get over. Like, he is we one of saw our best them. ever goalkeepers. He's in the top 10. Yeah. Well, top 15. We see them. Well, we saw a lot of the ambassadors when we yeah. were away. Like, Wes, obviously, we interviewed him. He's an ambassador. Robbo's an ambassador. Dennis Irwin's an ambassador. Like, there's lots of players or ex-players mm. that are ambassadors. I don't think Beckham coming in as an ambassador is that unbelievable. I mean, it's good because he's such a big name. But I also feel as well, he's got a lot of things going on, David Beckham. Like, doesn't he part own Inter Miami? Yeah. He technically part owns Salford City, but I don't think he... Uh, Salford... Is it Salford City? I think so. Yeah. I can't forget what, yeah. what club it was then. Um, yeah, he technically part owns them. I don't think he takes much of an interest in it. Yeah. So he's got stuff going on. So I don't know what this would entail, him becoming an ambassador. I think it would just be more of he's going to do some PR. Yeah, the well, club. there were some rumours. Not he's going to be on tour all the time and yeah. doing all meet and greets. There were some rumours uh, suggesting that he'd been sort of asked to be slightly more vocal about things. I don't know if that was true, and I don't know if that was just sort of seeing the fact that he had been more vocal, even if it wasn't completely um, transparent who he was talking about, um, about the Qatar bid and sort of, you know, being asked to back it and that sort of thing. So maybe it could be involved with that. But like you said, no offence, but the ambassador roles aren't like, you know, you're making Manchester United get better players or win more games. It's very much... A, you know, you're there to serve as a representative of Manchester United when United go around the world, when United have got sponsorship opportunities, you will do the meet and greets, you'll speak to the press, you'll speak to some fans, you'll speak to some, you know, um, employee, uh, employees of different sponsors and stuff. Sometimes they'll have like dinners for like sponsor dinners and stuff and an ambassador might go to that. Like, I can't, like you said, I can't see David Beckham being sat at a, a dinner for a sunglasses company uh, to try and sort of schmooze with CEOs. Can you? Do you know what I mean? He's not going to be in, interviewed about that. Like, no. he's just not. So what is he actually going to be doing? That's the question, isn't it? <laughs> like, I don't know what he's going to do. He ain't going to do that stuff. I so mean, really, he, would make, a good, he want, would make a good ambassador of sunglasses. He would. Yeah, but with it's, his because it, it's just fantastic just to look at no matter what, David Beckham. But the problem is... He's not doing anything. Ambassador means nothing. So all they want him for is his PR. Like the, like Qatar wanted him for his PR. There's not really anything to this. If they wanted him to come in as director of football, which firstly I think would be a mistake because he's got no experience in that whatsoever, that would be one thing. But this it doesn't really mean anything, does it? No. You come in and talk nicely about us. It's kind of what you would expect from from the Qatari bid, really, isn't it? Which is what we saw at the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, what we're seeing now. Sim, he's gone full Qatari World defend, Cup. He loves it. Defending him as well, I know, because yeah. he got a bit of grief. Because he's a gay icon, David Beckham. He was like that. And he was one of the few, or one of the first out the door in terms of footballers who, be, who embraced being a gay icon and were like, yeah, you know what, I'm happy, you know, love on, loving a bit of this. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever in the sort of late 90s. And yet, 
people have questioned him and gone, look, you know, Qatar has this record of, of not treating members of the LGBTQ plus community very well. And he kind of gave an answer that didn't really mean anything, did it? Yeah, he, he said, well, I was there and spoke to people from that community and they said they felt very safe. Yeah, and like, weren't they banning rainbow flags? Yeah. That's hardly making them it's feel just, safe. And it's just very like, your, your, your response to government policy is personal experience, which isn't really, you know, it, if it's illegal to be gay, you can't say, well, you know, the people I spoke to, because that's just, it's a bit, you know, it's not really an argument, is it? It's such a small sample size of the, the people that were able to speak to David Beckham probably weren't, you know, in in the streets, in the stands, not, you know, they'll have been in wherever boxes or whatever, won't they? So I'm sure they felt safe there. Like, who gets to speak to David Beckham? Yeah. People who were already <laughs> in the executive boxes or whatever. Yeah, I'm people, sure people in the queue there. to see Her Majesty when she's laying stage. Remember? Yeah. Remember when he queued up? He wants a night with Danny Old Bex. Why ain't he got it? What for? Why? <laughs> for your failed uh, ambassadorial role, funnily enough, uh, in trying to get the 2020 World Cup for England. <laughs> Uh, Why? Yeah, he I mean, he's, 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 yeah, he's been a great footballer and he's he's had a great career. But I don't know if he's I don't know I don't Jay. know the, the 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 what the sort of requirements are to get a night because I don't Louis Hamilton got one. Yeah. So if you stand you around, get, Andy Murray's got one, hasn't he? With your hands in front of you, sort of clasped yeah. over like that, yeah. long enough at state dues yeah you will just get a knighthood right okay they just, they're just i like black cabs they just they're, that, oh, that, is, that is officially how it goes down make yeah. sure you are hitting the like button people come on let's get to 200 likes right i'm going to go through some of these comments yep. because there's loads of them uh o'hanlon 86 who's been a member of the first team for nine months says joe looks like the kind of bloke who has a bag of fisherman's friends in his pocket love you lot is that true no, do they you can't blow my head off really they, they, the strong they them aren't exist. they the small strong ones they shouldn't exist then why because they like what would the fishermen do much. without the friends? They're too much. What, like the strong. They're the, not the just bad boys. strong. They're like they're made of things that no other food is made of. It's so intense. I've not had a fisherman's friend since about 1986. Honestly, genuinely, don't. Right. Okay. They're so. Bizarrely flavoured they are. Bizarrely flavoured mints. Uh, Glenn F has been a member of the Academy for 31 months. Thank you, Glenn, for your support. Says, let's hope it's a turning point. We're going to get to this in a minute. Yes. For the modern um, era. Haven't seen the Beck doc, but it sounds great. Ha ha, UTR, UTP, glazes out to you both. Big fist bump to you both. Same to you, Glenn. Uh, Abinav Verma says, I did feel like giving ne Neville a slap when he talks in the documentary. I mean... Calling yourself a side dish pathetic. Um, yeah, that's what he called himself. Peter A has been a member of the Academy for 12 months. Says, Joe, don't hide from your feelings. Watch the doc. Our great history is beckoning us ceaselessly from the future. We have to listen. We have to return. And Colin Felix says, should have extended Veghorst loan for six months. I did... Um Obviously, it's an, an inherently more sad story than, than the Beckham stuff, which is obviously a happy story. But when, when I went to that... Um, Jimmy Murphy statue unveiling. Oh yeah, I cried three times. Really? Yes. Did Not you? like one time there was tears. Tears left my eyeballs. Right. Like we're on my That's face. That's literally crying. Literally crying. <laughs> Two other times, welled up like tears in the eyes, like just staring, like hope no one looks at me. Yeah. I can't do it. It's too. It's all too much for me. It's just too much. <laughs> so I will watch the David Beckham thing, but I'm I'm gonna cry and then it's your fault. So what, what made you? What triggered you? Was it just? The, the Jim Murphy thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously this was it speeches the, or the poem? Was it, the poem was, was it the, the one the that cost really of got the parking. Me. What what got to it? It was the poem that really got me. Was it? Yeah. Oh man. What's his name? The the poet who did the um the poem after the arena attack. 
uh, Longfella, Tony. Um, yes. Tony, help me out. I've forgotten. I've forgotten. I'll. I have to Google it. He did a poem anyway about Tony Jimmy Walsh. Murphy. Tony Walsh did a poem about um, Jimmy Murphy and yeah. him as a as a coach and as a man and after the uh, Munich disaster and how things got rebuilt and how he stepped up and all the things he did and as a dad like it just lost it, lost it. Yeah, it, it is very emotional and when you go to Carrington and there's like the, the little Jimmy Murphy almost like a little shrine mm. so they kept the red flag flying high yeah. and you look at that and then there's the you go down a Munich tunnel or when you look, read the stories and the way he, he carried on, the way he kept everything going, obviously the, some of the films we've seen, the Busby documentary, yeah. one or two others, the United film, where I think he's played by David Tennant, Jimmy mm. Murphy, just that sort of stoicism, right, we've got to carry on and they wouldn't have it when some of the directors were like thinking, can we even carry on as a club? No, we are going to carry on and he, he made it happen. So yeah, I understand why he got emotional, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Joseph. Are you going to do this segue after that or am I? We can do it together. This yeah, the United Way. By Manscaped, right? Yeah. Fresh ball fall is upon us. Me, today. right. Me and Steve had a discussion about this other day because fresh ball fall, oh. yeah, is what the Americans would say. Mm. And I know you're half American, but I'm not. So three quarters of this podcast is not American. Yeah. So we thought English, yeah. you would say, what was it? I've got one. Go on. Because of their uh, Manscaped's um, reduced nick technology, yeah, uh, skin safe technology, yeah, uh, you could call it uh, never caught them autumn. Never caught them autumn is Do better you know what I mean? because there was one I think decorum autumn which didn't work. Never caught them autumn. Yes. yes. So you need to be here in the festive spirit. Light a candle. Mm. Get some pumpkin spice. Ooh. That was that the sixth member of the Spice Girls. There was posh, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Baby. Yeah. Ginger. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. Scouse. Yeah. And pumpkin. Pumpkin spice, yeah. Pumpkin spice, yes. Yeah. She was, she, yeah. She was like, go. <laughs> so, so we tried to cut her face in her belly and put a candle in it. So, it's, a, it's a hate crime, but yeah. you know, she took the fall. She went to do something else. Yeah. Um, yeah, so make sure your balls look nice with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. You can. I, lo I love this bit. Go on. Get your pants puppies Oof. prepared yes. for cuffing season with a trim as refreshing as an autumn breeze Ooh. by going to manscaped.com and using the code devils20 for 20% off and free shipping. Yeah. Joseph, it's no good getting 20% off and free shipping if I'm not getting some good stuff for well, that. you're gonna get loads what of good stuff. What am I getting? It's, this is the thing, it's time, what's it time for? Hot water bottles, flannels, cozy socks, curling up in front of the fire. But by now, you've heard of him and so have nine million other men. Manscaped, okay? And the kit that covers all of it, right? is the perfect, sorry, performance package, it is perfect, but it's performance package 4.0. Okay? 4.0, within that, bad for anything less now. It starts with the lawnmower 4.0, with the advanced skin safe TM technology yeah. that reduces nicks and cuts and makes raking the leaves less painful. Love it that. genuinely is the only thing I would trust on my testicles. Yeah. And that's, you know, including myself. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I wouldn't let me go anywhere near it. I, uh, do you know there's like advice that you'd have at school or in a workshop or whatever? I put the, the, Lawnmower 4.0 in the vice, yeah. turn it on with yeah. the multifunctional on off switch. Yeah. And then we I all, just, you need all that. So then let's imagine this is it, right? And then I just attack, yeah. attack the vice yeah. like that. Yeah. Because I don't even trust myself at yeah. this stage, Jay. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I will, I mean, I'll mess it up. Yeah. Whereas with that, I don't have to. The great thing about these products from Manscaped mm. is you can use them. In fact, you're actually recommended to use them without a vice. Yes. I mean, it's up to you what you do when you get them. 
but don't feel like advice is ne uh, necessary. They, they work perfectly well. Some would argue a lot better without advice. He just likes dangling his genitalia around cold metal. Anyway, you get Crop Preserver, yeah. the Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver, Ball Spray, yeah. the Shed Travel Bag, mm -hmm. the Manscaped Boxer Briefs with the anti-chafing technology. You get all that, 20% off and free shipping using the code DEVILS20. There's a link in the description. Your balls will thank you. What did you call it? Never caught him autumn. Your balls will thank you. This never caught him autumn. Big thank you to Manscaped for sponsoring this podcast. Thank you very much. Right. We spoke about golden balls. We've mm. done the advert for the balls. Let's talk about mm. the thumbnail. Yeah. Turning point. <laughs> what is going on? Is this a turning point for Manchester United Football Club? We have got a host of top-class talent returning to the United team. Mm. You've got your Cobby Maynews. Bang. Your Raphael Varans. Bang. Your Sergio Regulons. Bang. Your Ahmad Diallo's. Bang. And further down the line, you've got your Luke Shaw's and your Lissandro Martinez's and yeah. other players. But even in the immediate future, you have got some important players coming back to this team yeah. who could and should give us a massive boost. And that could help us get our season going again, especially as we've just settled the storm slightly with that win over Brentford. Yeah, and, and I know obviously being six points behind City isn't a good thing and we no. want to be closer than that. But after everything, the dust had settled on the first eight weeks of the Premier League season or nine or whatever, however many games we've played now. I'm surprised to be sat here only six points behind City after what has felt like an utterly disastrous start to the season. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Being basically, if we win our two games against City and all, all of the results are the same, we'll be on the same points then. I don't expect us to do that. But do you understand what I mean? It's like, in my head, we should be 15, 20 points behind them. I know the season's only just started, but it's felt that catastrophic at times as United fans, hasn't it? After that Galatasaray game um, and the Palace game before it, it's felt so bad that surely we must be 15 points. You know, we're actually not that far off. And I expect Tottenham and Arsenal to drop points. Tottenham in particular will drop points. It could be a lot worse. And I think if the next three four results go our way, obviously we've got Sheffield United and then I think it is City straight after that. If we can get four points out of those two games in any orientation, I will be absolutely over the moon. And the thing with this turning point, calling it a turning point, it's not necessarily an opinion. It's almost like it has to be a turning point. Okay. Because I don't think Ten Hag will survive another dip of the, of the sort of magnitude that we've seen at the start of this season. If, I said this to my dad a few weeks ago before we'd lost to uh, the Palace game and the Galatasaray game. But the way I could see it going is we start off badly, we ride it out, you know, ten other some questions about his job and his safety and all that, and then we have a good run, and then we have a second dip in sort of November, December, and that's where it'll be truly tested because it'll become not just bad form, but it'll then be is he can he is he losing control of this squad? He sort yeah. of got it back and then he didn't. So I think we at least need this run now where we get a few players back in. Varane is massive. Getting a left back is massive. Like whoever it is, Shaw or. Um, Malassia or, or, or Reguilon, whoever's coming back, having an actual left back there will be huge. You know, we'll talk about um, Casemiro and um, Onana as well in a minute, but just getting players back in is absolutely massive. It's such a shame um, Lissandro Martinez is out for as long as he is because him at full form uh, and full fitness is such a massive player for us last season. But this has to be a turning point, doesn't it? It's almost not a question. It ha it's, it, I insist that this is the start of good things because otherwise this season is at risk of being an utter disaster. Do you think they can use 
you know, Saturday's win as a, as a catalyst for the rest of the year? I think they could. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not set in stone and we have to have a little bit of perspective here as well. Yes, we've, we've on, you know, we're only six points behind City and five points behind the Scousers, three points worse off than we were last season. But it's the nature of some of them losses yeah. this season. Like last season, we've beaten the likes of Liverpool and Arsenal at this point. This season, we've lost to Palace and um, I know we lost to Brighton last season, but we've lost as well the two the two God, tough ga right. games and in Europe we haven't done that well I mean I was pointing out in the news this morning you know Newcastle only one point above us and you think Newcastle having a relatively all right season but they've done the business in Europe yeah. we haven't so there are issues there for very time to fix but I just feel that it, things get ignored and dismissed and I think not having a settled back four is such a big issue mm. and especially when you look at the odds and sods we've had to make to, to do to make a back four we haven't just gone okay Instead of Luke Shaw, we've got Tyrell Molassia. Instead of Lissandro Martinez, we've got Victor Lindelof. Instead of um, Raphael Varane, we've got Harry Maguire. And instead of Aaron Wambasaka, we've got Diogo Delo. It has literally been like, we've got a midfielder playing at left back, yeah. or we've got a midfielder playing, you know, wherever. We've got a left back, a right back playing at left back sometimes. We've got a 35 year old loanee coming in. We've got another loanee who's coming in and he's got injured, so we have to put someone else there. Yeah. It has been chaos. Yeah. I have never seen anything like this at Manchester United, where you've got literally your whole back four almost changes every week. It's not yeah. just one, it's not like you've just got issues at left back. You've got yeah. issues at left back, which is causing issues at right back because you're more or less moving in. On Saturday, we had. <laughs> it was our fourth, fifth, and sixth choice centre backs playing left back and centre back yeah, for us. Yeah, like, like left back mad. and centre back. That's crazy. When you look at the way the way we were, the other week it was, or for, you know, for the last couple of weeks, it's been. A guy who's just come in as a low move for what he can do in midfield, playing at left back, it's it's been unreal. And I think that has almost been ignored because people go, well, you still should be beating Crystal Palace. Well, you still should be beating Brighton. Well, you still should be getting something from a game against Spurs away or a game against Arsenal. And I think whilst, in all honesty, that kind of should be is true, you can't ignore that. You can't ignore the idea that you are playing teams that, in some cases are very settled and have got a good system and are, are playing well. And you're going into those games with just an absolute makeshift back mm. four. So that that can't be ignored. And I think that once we get a left back at left back, that's a massive boost. It really is. Once you get one of your first choice centre backs, even if it's just Varane, which it will be, because Martinez is long term, that's going to be a boost. Raphael Varane, the issue about Raphael Varane isn't when he plays, it isn't his performances, it's no. his injuries. Yeah. When he plays, he's very good. He's just injured far too often. But if you had a bat four that had regular on at left back, say Varane and Maguire or Varane and Lindelof, probably going to be Varane and Lindelof, being brutally honest. I know he didn't have a great game at the weekend and Maguire had a much better one, but. I don't know, I feel like Lindelof's ahead of Maguire in a pecking order, but either or. And then the low at right back, all of a sudden, that looks all right. Yeah. That looks pretty solid. It's not the best, obviously. You're missing Lissandro Martinez, you're missing Aaron Wan-Bissaka, you're missing Luke Shaw, but it's at least a pretty stable one mm. with the right players in their position. That does feel more like, a okay, that's a, that's a back four we can work with. Yeah. At the minute, or for the last few weeks, it's been chaos. Yeah, and, and it's meant pulling... Amrabat out of midfield, which has put then more strain and stress on Casemiro, which I want, I want to talk about Casemiro as well. Um, but then it's, like you said, it's, it's, it's then hurt the midfield and it's hurt the keeper as well. Like, I'm not defending him letting the ball go through his hands against Bayern Munich or passing it um, straight to their player against Galatasaray. But it isn't good as a goalkeeper when the 
four players in front of you are literally changing drastically every single week. And sometimes within games, like how many subs we had to make within games at centre-back because Martinez is injured, so he's been coming off at 60 minutes all the time. Uh, we've, we, like we saw Maguire um, and uh, Johnny Evans ending the game at the Emirates for Manchester United. Like, it doesn't help when you're a keeper and your back four is changing week by week and within games. No. You know, um, that's not going to make him make these big mistakes, but it's unsettling. And the last thing we need with a new transfer who is already clearly struggling a little bit with the move that he's made and the confidence um, that you sort of have to have to be Manchester United's keeper. The last thing he needs on top of that is an ever-changing defence that is porous as all fuck. Do you know what I mean? It's not helpful, is it? So if we get some players back, I think that's a massive, uh, a massive boost for Man United. And I do want to talk about Casemiro and Onana because we've sort of got two ways to look at it. One is they can only get better, but the other is they need to get better, especially Casemiro. We need to see more from him, don't we? What, we do. What, what we do, do you we think do. he's doing wrong at the minute? Just on, just on that, Colin Wilmot, who's been a member of the Academy for 20 more months, says, do you think the idea of signing Amrabat is actually a Casemiro replacement? Loads of people in the, in the chat and the comments going on about us mentioning the facts about our problems with, with, with injuries as well. Um, someone, Stefan Horn, says, any idea when Aaron Wambasaka is back? I, I think it's another two months, I think. Mm -hmm. I have to double-check that. Also, Sandra Notch is just talking about, um, says, I don't want to get drawn hard cup games when every game is high intensity, draining the players when half the squad are out injured. So, yeah, the injuries are sort of taking their toll. Um, with Casemiro, sorry, yeah, it's not been great, has it? I mean, mm. you would argue those 45 minutes we saw against Brentford were the worst 45 minutes we've seen from him in a red shirt. And I feel like with Casemiro, the worry you've got with him is he's, because of his age, is this the decline? Rather than a slump in form, is this the decline? Because it could be just a slump in form. Let's not forget, and I'm as guilty of it as anyone, a lot of us were ready to write off Scott McTominay a few weeks ago as, as having nothing to offer Manchester United. And then at the weekend, he could, could be the saviour of our season. That could be the turning point, mm. which is the point we're making. So you don't want to be too quick to dismiss a player who has been one of the best midfielders on the planet for the past sort of... Scott McTominay? Well, two of the best, two players who've been the best midfielders on the planet in Mitsumine and uh, Casemiro. But with Casemiro, yeah. like he has been amazing. So you don't want to just go, well, that's him done. But the signs aren't great. He is 31 years old. Yeah. He does have that physique of someone who you don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm being harsh, and I don't want. To, I'm not trying to sort of criticize his body, but he, he's not like a svelte, skinny guy. He's not a Modric, is he? No. Who you think he's gonna sort of carry on to leave? Bruno. Yeah. Like you saw it with someone like Wayne Rooney, who we've been speaking about. Mm like he's a bulky kind of guy and you think when he gets to his sort of mid-30s is that going to take it so on him is he going to struggle to keep up with the pace of, of things so I don't know I just I worry with Casemiro I think it's a little bit too early to say he's done mm. because we've seen also with Casemiro slow starts to the season and slumps in form before even at Madrid people forget at Madrid he had times at Madrid where uh, the Madrid fans early on in the season I've read a few articles on it we're going what's going on with Casemiro and then by the end of the season he's won another Champions League and been phenomenal Yeah. so it's a bit too soon to write him off but it is troubling I've, it is because of his age I've got a little bit of a theory on this that is literally just my theory from watching him I think what might have happened is he came from Real Madrid where the fans are so insanely critical and have such high standards which is to be fair if you look at him probably one of the reasons why 
they've managed to win trophies there consistently for the last 150 years. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing, but they are much more critical there than they are at Old Trafford. You're much more likely to get booed and jeered for doing something, you know, a, a minor mistake at, at the Bernabeu than you are at Old Trafford, aren't you? You just are. And I think that the system he played in allowed no room for him to be the star no room for him to get forward and, and dominate and, and do those things. I know we did push up occasionally, we get the goal here and there, but that absolutely wasn't his role. No. His role was cover Cruz and Modric. You know, they'll sort of rotate and sit back and help you occasionally, but really, you sit in front of the defence, you win the ball back and you give it to them, and they are two of the best in the world at doing the next step. Yeah. He comes to Old Trafford, he spoke publicly about how much he loves the fans, how much he loves the support. We loved him in, immediately. We hadn't, had a, we hadn't bought a, a sort of attacking, uh, I mean that in the sort of, you know, he attacks, uh, tackles and, and the opposition type of defensive midfielder in since Schneiderlin basically, and not a successful one since, you know, what, Roy Keane. Like it had been such a long time since we had a player like that come in and immediately play well. And I think part of him, he might have just gone, I quite like being the star here. Yeah. I quite like this. It, it feels nice that the fans love me and I can do a bit more. And wow, I scored a goal in the Carabao Cup final and everyone loved it. And actually, look, I've got seven goals last season. I got three assists last season and I can be that bit of a threat. And the reason I thought this is because obviously his goal numbers have, have been great. I think he got 20 goals and assists since he's joined, mm. which no one expected from him. But there was a point in the game the other day against Burnley where we were playing the ball. It wasn't a cat, it wasn't Burnley from a set- Brentford. Sorry, Brentford, thank yeah. you. Um, it wasn't a set piece. It wasn't like from a corner, so it was already up. And we're playing and the ball gets played into the corner and I'm thinking it's about to be Mason Mount or Bruno. And Casemiro is in the corner, on the corner flag, putting cross into the box. I thought, that, he shouldn't be there. Yeah. I like that you're trying and I like that he's getting these goals and he's getting winners and he scored two against Bayern Munich and all that's great. <laughs> but I think part of him has sort of enjoyed the fact that we love him. He's a bit of a star. He can score goals in the Premier League because it's you know set pieces and all that. And I think he's sort of gone. Well, I might not stay back. I, I genuinely think there's a little bit of like he's tasted the food of like getting forward a bit. And I, I think he's just doing too much of it. And he's leaving gaps. And he's knackered. I think he needs to play a bit more simple again. Go back to being unfortunately not the star where you're just part of, you're just a cog in the machine, where you sit in front of the defence, you win the ball back and you play it forward. I think he's trying to do too much. I, I agree with you, but I don't know if it's coming from him. I wonder whether the manager's sort well, of having a little bit of a thinking gone. that's an option, Oh, yeah. you know what? You're good on the ball. You can get forward. You can score goals. We've got Hannibal or we've got Amrabat who can cover for you. You get forward. I wonder whether he's encouraging Perhaps, it. Perhaps, yeah. And I think we mentioned it on the watch along. You know, like when Maurizio Sarri went into Chelsea and he, he encouraged Kante. Well, he didn't encourage him. He played him like almost on the left wing, I think it was. Mm. And he was like, oh, you know, you're good on the ball. You get forward. And it's like with Casemiro, but we can't afford it for him to do that. He's not in the team to do that. And we've got other players that can do that. So I agree with you. He does need to be doing his defensive duties. And also, regardless of whether he's getting forward or not, even when he's in the right position, as we saw against Brentford, yeah. he's making mistakes. Like you saw him and True. that goal that, that Brentford score, of course it's Andre Onana's fault. He shouldn't, shouldn't have conceded that goal. And also Vitor Lindelof should have cleared the ball much better. But it starts with Casemiro. Mm. He has a look over his shoulder, he gets the ball and then he plays that ball. And he's not, he, the look over his shoulder was two seconds ago. Mm. In the meantime, someone's come in and covers the, the pass. And, and, and dispossesses or gets gets the ball off us and then he lunges in. Mm. He doesn't he panics almost and lunges in and misses the tackle. So 
it's Casemiro's at fault there. Yeah. And he's in his right position. It's not like, oh, well, he was too busy trying to get a goal. Mm. He was just perfectly where you'd want Casemiro on a football pitch between the sort of the end of our box and the, the, the halfway line. Mm. He was just in that space, but he made a big mistake and exacerbated it by lunging in. So even with, with all the stuff he's been asked to do mm. or he's making himself do, even with that, that's a worry. But basics, the basics from Casemiro, yeah. when he's in the right position, he's not doing them. And that concerns me a lot because you think, okay, maybe he's having a little bit of a rut. Maybe he's, he's just, it is a bit of form that he's, he's, he's lacking. But the real top, top DMs, they don't tend to have many periods like this. They didn't. Michael Carrick, he had little spells where he'd have three or four games where you think, what's going on with him? Mm. I remember just before the 2010 World Cup, his head fell off and he had about five bad games and you know, it's like he played his way out of the England squad. But that sticks in my memory because it's so rare. Yeah. And he turned it around again the beginning of next season. With Casemiro, I feel like this slump, if you can call that, it's been a bit up and down for a while now. That's mm. my worry as well. Yeah, I do, I do think though that some of the basic stuff, when, people, when players are getting the basics wrong, part of me is, is less worried like, but by that. Because there's, we know Casemiro isn't someone that can't make a 10-yard pass. Yeah. He isn't someone that can't put a tackle in. Even if he's knackered and he's, let's say his legs have gone, which is the thing you lose really, you know, that speed, that the engine or whatever. There's no reason he can't pass it five yards. No. So I just think that's a, a sloppiness thing. I think that maybe is more of a mental thing, a confidence, a form, just a sort of a general kind of malaise that's, that's sort of gone through the team at the start of the season. That actually worries me less. Because, in, in, you know, I, I can pass a ball 10 yards and I'm shit. Yeah. So he can. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, there's, uh, like the same with Onana. Letting the ball go through your hands worries me a lot less. Um, obviously, if you just do it every week, then that's going to be an issue. But it, it feels fixable because he didn't get to the position he, he's in. He didn't get to the Champions League final with Ajax. He didn't play for, uh, sorry, with Inter. He didn't play for Ajax by being a goalkeeper that lets the ball go through his hands every week. No. He would never have got to this position. So that isn't what he's like. That is a confidence and a mental issue that I think will be resolved by winning games and having a few good performances. And I'm hopeful of the same with Casemiro. And maybe now, you know, once we start getting some of these players back, as we've listed, Casemiro can actually get a rest occasionally. And to Notch's point, if we could only get, a, you know, a, a, a nice little draw in a cup once in a while where we didn't have to play the full strength team, maybe you could get a rest in one of those games as well. But, you know, it's always a Premier League team for the United, isn't it? Like, I know obviously, Maybe we, we could have rested people against Palace, but fucking hell, can we not get like a Bristol City or something? <laughs> Didn't they knock us out a few years well, ago? Well, maybe not then. Uh, Mank Mike 93 says, sensible fans can see we need to back Eric Tanag all the way. Yes. He's dealing with crap on and off the pitch every week. It's talk sport, a lot of media that thinks he should be smashing it every week or he's failed. Yeah, well said. Um, Daniel Berry says, Casemiro was just short termism. Hate it, reactive nonsense, same with Ronaldo. I think the, the longer-term option was obviously going to be Frankie de Jong, but we couldn't get him, as we all know. And also, uh, they're sorry, not quite on. the same. There was seven years of difference between the two of them. It's not like Casemiro was 35 when we bought him. No. He was 30, yeah. which isn't young, but no-one's calling Harry Kane at buying short-termism. Yeah. If he has, you know, let's say this is a, 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 a spell where he's not playing so well. If he's at the top level when he's 33, 34, we start to see a, a drop-off. That's not short-term in football. Short-termism is a 12-month loan or two years. But I think, you know, signing a 30-year-old isn't long-term by any means, but it's not like getting a 37-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo in, is it? It's not quite the same to me. No, I think with Ronaldo, you knew that the most you were going to get out of him was those two seasons. Yeah. Um, with Casemiro, you hope, you hope 
that he'd be able to see how his contracts will give you something for the entirety of I think he's a four year deal but that's beginning to look a bit ropey if we're being brutally honest Uh, Glenn Sangster in the Super Chat says Casemiro's shown signs of this form since day one he's getting found out not quick in any way whatsoever only performs when he's got time Uh, Twitter Legend says some forget we have Kobe Mainu coming through Mm. he's ready we mentioned him earlier him coming back will be a big boost for Manchester United and Eric Tanag Joseph Mm. give me your Wally of the week Please, my I knew friend. it was going. I knew it was going to be this, but it's, it's Liverpool Football Club. Because, Controversial. Because that statement that they put out, this whole furore about replaying the game, this, that, and the other shit, right? No. And I, I said this on the podcast a week ago, or whenever it was. It's going to give give them now for certainly the next few months, maybe the rest of the season, maybe longer. Who knows? Every decision that is a oh that can go either way, or oh I've seen them given will be given in favour of Liverpool now. Anytime they're involved in a dodgy handball, a little trip, a little push, a little anything, they're going to get it. And we've seen it already. The, the, the game that they had at the weekend against Brighton, the first penalty I think it was that they got, where someone just sort of oh, touches his shoulder as he's going past and is it... We've seen it. It's given. Of course it's given. And I'm not saying it's, it's, it's an awful decision, but it's one that can go either way. But it won't go either way anymore. It'll go their way because he kicked up such a stink that referees, quite rightly, like, do you know when you get threatened at five a side, someone's going to throw a chair at you or whatever? Yeah. Next week, I might not ref next week, or actually, I'll just, I'll just won't give that penalty because it saved me the hassle. That's what refs will feel like <coughs> when they face Liverpool. I've had it's that. not worth the fucking hassle of doing my job properly because I'm going to get a load of shit. Like, like replaying the game. What are you on about? <laughs> I was a bit gentle last week because I thought it might be good for everyone, this. We might get rid of VAR. And instead it's into Klopp going, I think the only thing to do is to replay the game. What? That has never happened. That isn't something that happens in football. At least keep your punishment and, and your ramifications something that's possible in football. We're not just playing it again because you didn't like how the outcome happened. Fuck off. And now you're getting these soft penalties that they'll continue to get all season because they've got a club statement. Like, oh, we're so sad about what's... Shut up. You lost a game. Get over it. Um, and now look. They're going to win something now because of that. <laughs> Pisses me off, that. Anyway. And if they do win something, it'll be purely because of that. Yeah. It's in a similarish vein. And I was in two minds as to whether to go for this, but I am going to go for it because I can't stand him anyway. Michael Oliver... Right, how has this snivelling little Tory become like the, the go-to ref for the big games? He's terrible. And an out-and-out Newcastle fan, which just amazes me that he's even getting big games because they're in the mix nowadays. Mm. But his decision, right, to not book Kovacic yesterday in the Arsenal City game for that second challenge was amazingly bad. It yeah. was ridiculous. Like, everyone in the Emirates, even City fans, and I even retweeted a City fan I know, Steve McInerney, Said that's a yellow card. Of course it what is. what is that? They were saying we've got away with one. It's not the first thing they got away with. Like, what is going on? Like, how can you not see that is a blatant yellow? Like, it's not even a debate. It's just that's a yellow card. And he didn't yeah. give it. And then it opens up all these rumors and these conspiracy theories because apparently he's been refereeing in the UAE or wherever it is. Yeah. And he's like, oh, is he getting paid? And is he doesn't want to upset his paymasters and all that nonsense. That's the trouble you get when you've got referees moonlighting for some of these countries that also happen to own the clubs that you're refereeing against or refereeing in mm. during those games. It opens you up to all these accusations and you don't do yourself any favours when you've got a blatantly obvious decision right in front of you and you don't give it. 
And just back to the the thing of with refs that we that we see, they are human beings. And if you if I said to you now, Jay, right, you you make let's say you make whatever X amount at Stretford Paddock, and I'll give you a job one day a year that will will, will make X amount again. Yeah. So the same amount you already make in a year, I'll give it you now or whatever. And then you you had a chance to either be gentle on me or be harsh on me. Yeah. You are obviously going to go gentle on me. Yeah. In any walk of life, people yeah. do that. It's like if he thinks this, you know, it's one that could go either way and whatever, and it might cost me a few grand to do this. You're not going to do it. Like it is just simple and obvious. Like you can't be going and being paid by the same people that own football clubs that you, for games that you ref. No. That is so simple. No. That's fucking absurd. It is absurd, and the the. I don't know, whoever it is, the FA or the Premier League, whoever, need to stop that. Yeah. Because I don't actually blame a referee for going and getting paid. If you want money and you're going, look, I'm going to get a load of dough for flying over there and doing some refing, fine. But you shouldn't be allowed to. No. Because it, it brings into question the integrity of the sport. And especially when you look at decisions like we saw yesterday, it just does. And now everyone's saying it. Oh, well, look, look we all know the reasons why. Mm. And it makes it difficult to, to deny that. It's just the perception of it. Might not even be true. He might not have done that. He might have looked at it, and let's face facts, he's not the first decision he's got wrong. He won't be the last. He might have looked at him for, nah, it's not a yellow for me. Mm. Don't, I think Declan Rice is making a meal out of that one because he knows I've just booked a kid, so he's trying to get him sent off. That might have been it, mm. but it's the perception because of what we've seen with all this publicity about the fact you're flying over to UAE to referee games. I don't think it's a good look. Uh, Zarul Chowdhury, first ever super chat, thank you, says, think Cass' main problem is communication. No Spanish-speaking defence, playing on his own, has to figure out his, on his own, out of position, think. So he's making a point there, or they're making a Probably point against about Casemiro and the lack of communication because he's speaking Spanish. I think he's getting English lessons, but mm. I mean, I know he speaks Portuguese because he's Brazilian, um, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Anyway, there are reasons to be slightly optimistic. Mm. We could, we could have reached a turning point, hopefully. Hope so. Fingers crossed. I've been saying this since... We beat Arsenal under David Moyes. Uh, Joe, where can people find you? Uh, Sloppy Joe's podcast. New episode coming out tomorrow. Oh, and also on our live event, we're going to be in Dublin on yes. the 28th of December. Come on! Hey, you, Halston, Macca, John O'Shea as well. So get involved in that. There's links everywhere, all on the socials and a link in the description. Strip so come down there if you can. It's a good way to just have your post-Christmas, pre-New Year mm. celebration with us lot. Uh, we had a great time last time we was in Dublin for our last live event. It was amazing. So yeah. I can't wait to go back there. Go and check out Manscapes as well using the code DEVILS20, 20% off and free shipping. Thanks to them for sponsoring the podcast and thanks for you for watching.